The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you want to be a surgeon or do you want to run the hospital? Because that might frame how you build your business. If you are looking to be the expert surgeon and to get really deep into the weeds of certain issues, you're going to need somebody to run the business function of your organization. Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is Mylena Sutton. She's the founder of Voltage Vista and someone who describes herself as a leadership development fanatic. Mylena believes in using personal leadership principles to guide teams towards mission-based alignment and greater productivity. But she's on the show today because Mylena's entrepreneurial journey is fascinating. Anybody who bets on themselves is all right by me. But what I love about Mylena is that she's a former HR lady, just like so many of us, but really took the time to invest in herself, to put herself first, and she's got a heck of a career to show for it. So if you're thinking about leaving HR and hanging a shingle in 2021 and calling yourself a consultant, well, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. It was recorded just for you. So sit back and have fun listening to Mylena Sutton. Hey, Mylena, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, it's my pleasure. We have a mutual friend and former guest of the show, Ryan Paul, who just said you knocked his socks off with your amazing training and your contributions to this world. And I have seen you speak at a Disrupt HR in Philadelphia. And it's my honor to have you on the podcast to talk about all things human resources, employee relations issues, fights, all the good stuff people always want to talk about. But before we get to all that, why don't you take a second and tell us who you are and what you're all about? Like, what's your origin story? Gotcha. Who I am, Mylena Sutton. I live in South Jersey, about 15 minutes from Philadelphia on a good traffic day. If it's a short time, who knows what we're doing? With that being said, I've been in the HR org development people space since year 2000, believe it or not, in some capacity or another, I go in to work with organizations around issues pertaining, frankly, to culture. And long story short, what I do, I go in with teams to help them figure out what's going on with organization culture that's preventing them from working well together. Because if you've ever been miserable at work, you know you're miserable in almost every other part of your life because work is like that Zoloft cloud. It follows you, <laughs> you know? So that's what I do. I help teams work on their issues. And hopefully other people, frankly, benefit from it as much as I benefit from doing the work. I love it. You know, one of the things I know about doing kind of work that you do is it's a marathon, not a sprint, which I find that it's so interesting that you're a runner and you do some long distance running. Do you see a parallel between that kind of work that you do on your own well-being and the work that you do out in the trenches? Good question. To be honest, I started running because I admired runners. Whenever I used to watch people who run, I'm like, it is hot. It is cold. 
it is really uncomfortable outside. And they are out there. There's a guy in my neighborhood, no matter how cold it is, it'd be 20 degrees. He has on like teeny tiny shorts. And so I always admired their stick to itness. And in terms of the work that I do, what I find is that to your point, it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. But what you've got to be able to do, frankly, is just develop a philosophy. I kind of consider running, if you compare it to leadership, almost like figuring out what your philosophy is. Because when you are a leader in this space, you've got to figure out what undergirds your approach to dealing with people. Without that, I almost feel like you're in perpetual firefighting mode. And if you figure out what your people philosophy is, what you really value, and really get to the core of what you think good leadership is, I think you have a fighting chance. <laughs> Without that, I think you're just showing up every day and wearing the catcher's mitt as opposed to pitching a little bit. So what's your philosophy on leadership management? What makes somebody good at that? And what's your philosophy going into some of these engagements? First, I really do believe that self-awareness is the cornerstone of good leadership. If you are that person who doesn't do that internal work, everything thing is always someone else's fault. You never see where you might be the person who's the issue. I think right there, we have some challenges. Seriously, I mean, no matter what's going on with the team, I don't mean that in a cliche-ish type way. I really do believe that leaders have to be perpetually invested in looking within. I really do believe every leader needs a coach, if not a therapist, simply because I think you need a place to sort things out. You need a place to dump that stuff. And sometimes your partner or your spouse isn't always the best person to do that. And you don't necessarily oh. want to fill your relationship up with yeah, that. Yeah, never. Yuck. Yeah, who wants to do that every day? Yeah. But my own philosophy, aside from the personal growth work, I learned it when I was a teacher at community college. And so I went to a large four-year school for both my undergraduate and graduate degrees. University of Georgia, University of Kansas, big schools. And I go to teach at community college and I, I should not admit this, the worst instructor, because I keep telling the students in my class, this is what you should be able to do. You should be able, you should be able. You sh and then one day it hit me like a ton of bricks. You're either going to lean into what you have and work with the students that you got and make them or push them toward being what they're capable of, or you're going to complain every day about who they aren't. You're not a teacher at the University of Georgia, my lady. You're not working at KU. You're somewhere else. The framework is different. The rubric is different. You're either going to get your hands dirty and commit to what it takes to be effective here, or you need to quit because relentless complaining is a waste of time. And all it's doing is killing your reviews. So make a decision. What are you going to do? You're either in or you're out, but perpetual fussing is a waste. I love that philosophy. And I think it's interesting that you talk about this idea of you're either going to make it work or you should quit, right? I think there is this dichotomy in the world that many of us face and a lot of us fall into learned helplessness, which makes our work environments even more toxic. Like I can't quit. I'm unable to do anything. I'm unable to make a change. Can you talk about that? I think that fear and learned helplessness are bedfellows. I see so many people in the workplace, they want to quit. Well, I have kids, I have this, I have that. I get it. And don't get me wrong. I know it's easy for me to tell you to find something else. But at the end of the day, I really do believe that we have got to move to a place as people in our culture where we can make some of the hard choices. Now, one of the things that I generally tell people, and the younger you are, the better, because perhaps you don't make some financial choices that put you between a rock and a hard place. But if you start your career with the goal of building what I call a go to hell fund in mind, if you do that, if you don't overextend yourself, if you don't try to keep up with the Joneses to the extent that you frankly cannot afford to walk away, then your options are going to be colored a bit different. But with that being said, I do think that 
we have to move toward a place where we are willing to have those difficult conversations with ourselves, let alone other people. So many people are afraid to walk away from jobs and organizations that they hate, that they complain about. And what they don't realize when they do that, they make themselves more and more wedded to that organization because the worse your reputation becomes in terms of your work ethic and your attitude, the harder it is to get out because nobody wants to vouch for you. And frankly, if you become just this killjoy, who's going to invite you to do the interesting projects? Who wants to partner with you? And then you dig yourself deeper and deeper into the hole of, I hate it here, but I can't get out. Frankly, I think that sense of feeling stuck is more sometimes for people about, I don't want to do the work that it takes to get out of here. And sometimes it might mean, yeah, you work all day and you got to find the energy to take a night class or do something on the weekends. But I think that a lot of it really is not accepting that we don't live in a world anymore where your supervisor is going to be responsible for managing your professional development. We also live in a workspace now where the rest of the working world will leave you behind if you don't figure out how to keep your own skills fresh. I mean, if you're waiting on HR to do that, bless your heart. <laughs> you're well, just you not are- going to Speaking my language on all of these topics, because you're talking about, you know, self-leadership, continuous development, taking some risks on yourself, and really also investing in your own emotional, physical, and financial well-being so that you don't box yourself into a corner. So I love all of this. And I think it's just really solid career advice. And then you get out into the working world where these teams don't work and people somehow forget to operate in their own best interest. So what do you see today when you go into companies? What's work like? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it a mix? What's your observation? I think it's a mix. So one of my, it's, I don't know if I would call it weird, but one of the things I love to do, part of my background, I do diversity, conflict. And I often say it's amazing that I'm okay when other people are fighting. It's kind of weird. But one of the things that I find in many organizations that I don't know if many leaders who are internal realize this, if I come out, I'll I can't say it has never happened. That's how often it happens. When it's over, whether it's by email or when we could meet in person, somebody would be waiting in the shadows when they see me walk into my car. They want to talk about what they think is wrong at their organization and why they hate it here. It happens a lot. So I think you have that group of people who are afraid to speak up at work. And I don't know if leaders realize they're talking to outsiders looking for advice, encouragement to help them figure out if they should stay, if they should quit. So I think you have that. And then I think you have this other group of people who are at work, who have really found what resonates with them. They found their flow and they are living their best life. And it's almost like work is just one of the things that they do. There's one woman I'm thinking of in particular. Uh, She works for an aerospace organization. And even before the pandemic, she had figured out that telework thing. You might look up one day and you're like, wait a minute, she's working from Greece today. And, but she's from Philly, but no, she found a way to get to Greece. And what I found with her is I've gotten to know her better. She loves what she does. But she also has a very active life outside of work. Work is not the thing that, frankly, is the sum total of how she defines herself. And so I think with a lot of people, one of the things that I even see with myself, I have a strong sense of that work-life balance thing. I look forward to the weekends because I have a full agenda and it makes me stay focused during the week because, look, I'm taking these cooking classes, I'm running, I'm preparing for a triathlon, I'm doing all this stuff. And I can't overwork if I want to be great in other spaces. Hey everybody, we're living in an era of uncertainty, but work was never designed to make us feel secure. Systems, processes, and programs were built for bosses, not employees. In my new book, Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Control of Your Career, I'm gonna teach you how to live a better life, enjoy work, 
and even be your own HR department, a skill that's needed whether we're in a pandemic or not, to advocate for yourself, avoid burnout, and form better personal and professional relationships. Betting on You is available wherever books are sold and audiobooks are streamed. The best place to buy the book is laurierudiment.com forward slash books. That's laurierudiment.com forward slash books. Buy Betting on You today. I love that philosophy. And it's real interesting that you talk about this because so many human resources professionals and HR consultants are burning the candle at both ends or maybe neither end, but they're all in on work and then they're burned out and they're exhausted. And I wonder how can you be a pillar? How can you be an example for how to do it right if you're not even doing it right in your own life? So I find it interesting that you are trying to live the values of a true lifestyle business. You work hard, you're building your business, but you're having a lifestyle. I think that's a lesson that more HR professionals, whether they're full-time or consultants, could learn. Oh, I absolutely think it's true. As a matter of fact, I even said this just this morning. I sent a client an email very early because I'm an early bird. And when the client responded at like 5.30 in the morning, I decided I would never email that person again. Not at least not that early because I don't want to train people to think that I'm always accessible. I was just cleaning out my inbox. Who thinks somebody else is up responding to stuff at this hour? And I said that to say, that's just one example about, look, I want to teach people what my boundaries are. And I also want to respect their boundaries. I had one client's project manager who I was working with. We were talking about some deadlines and she was like, no, 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 no. I need you to commit to get this to me on Friday or the following week because I don't work on weekends. I totally appreciated the fact that she was very clear. Look, if you send that Friday after one o'clock, I'm not doing anything with it. So it's either before then or on Monday or Tuesday. And I thought that was phenomenal because people are afraid to assert what they need to be effective at work. They think that burning the candles on both then is useful. It's not. And I know this after about nine hours at the desk, the quality of work goes to anyway. It's like three for me. So congratulations on getting to nine. That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's for sure. Just a degradation of our output. When we sit here and we look at zoom or we have Slack going, or we have Gmail up and running. I absolutely love your you know, ethos around setting some boundaries, being really clear so that the quality of your work is like top notch. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all we have, right? We say we're going to do something We say we're going to do it well, and we either do it well or we don't. The way we structure our lives really informs our work output. So I'm absolutely tracking. I think it's interesting that you go into organizations with these HR departments, though, that are clearly burned out and struggling and a workforce that may or may not be at its best, and you try to find some common ground and solve problems. So tell us a little bit about your job and what that entails. I have a couple of different uh, ideal client types. One is that group of employees or that organization that's about 50 to 80 people. And sometimes when they're closer to that 50 end, they might not have a full-time HR person, even though they might have someone who is responsible for HR. So what you're dealing with in that case is there is... I hate to say this because I don't want people to think it's a criticism, but there is no HR strategy and it's usually a responsive HR function because there's a problem, there's a pending lawsuit, there are complaints, work isn't getting done. So you have that. 
And then on the other hand, when I go into teams where it's much larger and I've developed a great relationship with the person who makes the decisions, then you have another set of problems because that HR department sometimes feels threatened by my presence because what they're concerned about is, you know, Mylena is getting the cherry picked projects, the things that we want to do. So what you're balancing on one hand is figuring out how do you build buy-in from the internal team who's going to be left with the thing you created when you're done. And then with the smaller organization, how do you get them to see you as a partner, someone who wants to see them succeed and who's not going to point out all of the things that they don't do well? Mm -hmm. If you can get those two perspectives to shift in your direction, I'm here to be your partner. And on the other hand, I don't want you to feel like I'm taking over this, even though we are going to get it done, all this good stuff, because I realize when I leave that your team is going to have to manage it. You're going to have to love it. So I want you to be with me every step of the way with this particular project, because it's going to be like the kid. I was the surrogate. You're going to carry it. <laughs> I'm carrying it, but you're, you're going to have it. And I usually take that approach to enlisting the help. And it usually makes the relationship better. But without that kind of relationship, I also don't get the transparency that I need to be able to really figure out what the problem is because there is a lot of shame in organizations around those places where they know that there are perpetual failures in accountability in terms of excellence, things aren't going well. And there's nothing scarier than to watch a leader who knows that the people part of their job isn't being done well and some outside person is going to come in and take a look at it. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, oh, you, you, you want me to do what? Yeah. And I'm going to need you to give me access to the people on your team too, so that they can talk to me without you hovering because they aren't going to be honest with you standing there about what it's really like. What I hear is you're using good sales skills, good relationship building skills. You're telling stories, right? You've got to make sure you're telling a story to different parts of the organization that actually resonates with them. So they come on board. There isn't a day when I don't have a human resources leader who's like, forget this. I'm going to go be a consultant as if they can just <laughs> snap their fingers and take what they do inside of an organization and take that elsewhere. When I hear that from someone, what should I say to them about that transition from HR internal work to HR consulting? First of all, do you really want to be a consultant? Because if you're leaving just because you hate your particular job, maybe you need a coach and somebody to help you with your resume. So I would say that would be the first thing, like really what's driving this here. But if you're really over being an internal person, tell me what you really want to take to other clients. For me, the thing that I love is that I have a certain set of skills that I use in every environment. And I love how I get to see how it works with a team of 50 and how it does or doesn't work with a team of 200. And it's the same skill set, same philosophy, but you have to tweak it to make it work for the different environment. It's back to being the community college instructor. Hey, what worked over here? You've got to see if it's going to work over there. And if it doesn't, you've got to lean into it to figure out what you got to tweak. So that would be my first thing to really figure out what do you intend to take to the market if you want to in fact do that and why. And then after that, I would say um, good luck <laughs> and <laughs> because starting a business and running my business, I've been in business now since 2007. It has been the best hard work I've ever done. And when I say the best hard work, I have had to learn every step of the way how to run my business. I didn't come from this background where I knew from the beginning I was going to go to business. So I didn't take all those B-school classes. No, that wasn't me. I decided that I really wanted to make work a better place for people because I knew what it was like to go to a job and cry in the car in the morning. And I felt like that was such a terrible existence. But with that being said, one of the things I would tell people is dealing with the HR side of the organization and then running a business. Those are two very different things. This is how I might frame it. Do you want to be a surgeon or do you want to run the hospital? Because that might frame how you build your business. 
if you are looking to be the expert surgeon and to get really deep into the weeds of certain issues, you're going to need somebody to run the business function of your organization. Because by the time you do the bookkeeping, the accountant, find the lawyer, find the tool, that's running the hospital. If you want to be a surgeon and really get in there, you've got to figure out how you're going to balance that. But Mylena, I'm going to jump in here because when you're building a new business, you have to be both. And that's the thing that just about does me under. (laughs) So especially in the first five years of my business, I was everything. I was the woman who ran to Staples and Mm -hmm. bought the printer paper. I ran to FedEx Kinko's to fax a contract because a university would only take a contract via fax, right? I mean, that was my job for the first five years of my business. And only when I had enough revenue could I say, I'm going to bring somebody in or I'm going to get this outsourced or I'm going to help. And boy, when I could do that, It was a blessing to kind of free up the space to create, to think, to innovate, but it was seven jobs for at least five years. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think you still have to decide or at least be stewing at the beginning. Are you aiming to be a surgeon? Or are you aiming to run a hospital? Because that frames how you build the business. So in five years, you know what you're going to do. Are you handing this off or not? And I think if you don't make that decision early on, you won't think about systems and how do you create processes. You'll spend your time consistently recreating the wheel, recreating the wheel, because you didn't think about the end when you started. You were just responding to the fact that the university needed the contract faxed. You didn't have systems. You didn't have processes. And frankly, when you think about it that way, that's some of what your HR clients are dealing with. They are just firefighting. They don't have systems. They don't have processes. And frankly, you're helping them fix those things. And as you master that in your own business, you'll be able to see sometimes very clearly when you're dealing with the client, this is a people problem. And then this is an organization structure accountability issue. It helps you to distinguish. I love that. That's so well said. And where were you in 2007 when I launched my own business? You're right. Business owners and just anybody who wants to do anything need coaches. They need advisors. So where do you go? Where do you look when you need help, when you need inspiration? Who do you turn to? What I found for a long time, I wasn't willing to make the financial investment in the kind of coach that I wanted because I'm like, she charges what? Absolutely not. But then I found that I was wasting time checking out all of these lesser options because I didn't want to make the commitment. And then what I realized is that when my perspective isn't clear on where I'm going and when I don't have someone around me who can ask me the tough questions, Mylena, that sounds a lot like you're trying to build a hospital. And you said you wanted to be a surgeon when you started this thing. When I don't have that, I notice that my confidence gets a little shaky. Sometimes it's like, wait a minute, because this is not consistent with the plan. On the other hand, what I also notice when I stray away from the small team of advisors that I have is that frankly, it's because because I've hit a place where I've overcommitted and I can't focus. And so I'm just flailing. So I stick to my same set of people. One person that I deal with, she is a branding and marketing and internet sales specialist. You would think, how is she the coach? Because what I do sometimes, I have these wonderful ideas and I will call her up. This is what I want to do. This is, I need you to help me get some copy for this. And she was like, so we have three customer types that we've identified for me. We've given them names They're Kim, Kelly, and Tanya. She was like, how does this appeal to Kim, Kelly, or Tanya? I'm like, but it's a great idea. She's like, no, it's a great idea to you. Kim, Kelly, and Ty couldn't care less about this. So why are we spending the wheels on this? Tell me what really, ah. my point is I have about three or four people in my life who for various parts of my business, I talk to with things like that. I, my financial person, I'm always trying to come up with some sort of new, I don't want to pay taxes scheme. And he's like, no. like, That's how you go to jail. That's how you go to jail. Don't do that. But to have someone who I can be transparent with, who I don't have to pretend for, to say the numbers were high, the numbers were low, this is way off for me. And then, frankly, the person who I can completely lose it with. 
And I think it's important to find those people. I don't have a formula for telling people how to find those people. But what I would say is this, if you find that you are consistently running into the same wall, you're probably searching for what you want in the wrong spaces. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to realize that I needed to look elsewhere. I started to talk to people who I felt like their businesses were growing in ways that I respected. And what I had to do in order to get them to be honest with me was to be willing to be transparent about the places where my business was struggling. This is my problem. Who do you have that I could talk to? And I think that has been really useful. And to also not expect that advice, that consultation to be free or cheap. Once I divorce my mindset from expecting everybody to be $22 plus a cup of coffee, I'm not saying some everybody's going to charge you, but, but just changing your mindset. Because here's the flip side. When my clients ask me to volunteer my time, I recoil at that. I mean, I have a certain amount of time that I've designated in my business to give away services every yeah. year. But beyond that, I can't sponsor the neighborhood. I mean, that's just not what I do. And I think the same, once I started to think about that in terms of other business owners, look, they can't take care of the whole neighborhood either. And so with that being said, it was just a kind of maturity with respect to growing my business that I just frankly had to get there. This is really great advice, which is why I've had you on the podcast today. And I know that my audience could really use your services. Like you offer some really interesting things to the world. So if people are interested in working with you, what do you offer and how could they learn more? My website is an easy place to catch me simply because there is a link on my website that allows you to schedule some telephone time. So my website is voltagevista.com. And if you can't remember that, my name sends you to the same place. My name is forwarded there. So it's mylenasutton.com takes you to voltagevista.com as well. In terms of the things that I do, there are a couple of things that I absolutely love. If your organization is a troubled organization and you're really looking for a people partner, and what I like to do with a people partner is um, twofold. I want to work with the leader of that team, particularly if your team is around 40 to 60 people. I like the leader of that team. I want to work with that leader to help them figure out whatever they need to figure out in terms of balancing the team, what the issues are, why they are are having the kind of pushback they are. But here's where I work a little bit differently. I also want an opportunity to work with the team. I don't just coach the leader. I don't believe in that, frankly. As a matter of fact, I only coach leaders who I'm working with, with them individually, as well as their team. If I can't do both, I don't want to coach the leader because I believe that your perspective is too narrow to really be able to understand what's going on in that organization. I kind of consider it like if you are dealing with hand weights, I want to deal with both ends of that hand weight. I want to be that bar there. And what I do in those spaces, I really work with teams where they have some entrenched problems and they are stuck. With that being said, I find that those partnerships are long-term. If you are looking for a relationship with someone who's just going to come in and do a workshop here or there, I'm probably not the consultant you want to work with because I have also grown enough in this work to realize that standalone workshops and trainings eh, just, I think, are a waste of time. And frankly, when employees see that you have one consultant after another and no follow-up with all of that, they feel the same way and they're cynical and they just show up because they know you will fire them if they don't. So with that being said, I like to do those kinds of partnerships. So that's part one of what I like to do. Then what I do as a subcontractor a lot, because I don't like the marketing part. Remember, I'm the surgeon, not running the hospital. Got it. Yeah, I love it. So I've partnered with a couple of larger contractors and I'm always looking for more where they go into larger teams and I do HR culture assessments. Now, I will say I love that part of the work because what I do, I go into these teams and I try to understand their informal culture. So, and how I approach it is by studying the performance management system. I want to know how do you get raises around here? How do you get coaching around here? If you want to move up, how do you do it? How valuable 
is that evaluation process that they have. I find that the work that I do when I'm working on that end of my business is amazing because I can't say more than 5% of employee groups tell me that the evaluation process is really meaningful. (laughs) Almost in every organization, they're like, eh, we just do it because they need something to justify our raises by. But if your boss loves you, then the floodgates will open. And if they hate you around here, then they tell you what it looks like to be punished in that space. And so those are the two things that I do the absolute most with. I find that it allows me to be creative. And on one hand, it also, because I work as an outside contractor, I get to say the hard stuff to people. And that makes my day in a very twisted way. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I love that. We all have fun and enjoy our jobs for interesting reasons. So (laughs) because I feel like since I don't work there every day. So if you get mad because I said the truth, okay. But guess what? Unlike the person who feels as if they need to sneak out and meet me in the parking lot because they don't know what the manager is going to do. I can tell you because if you get upset, I'm going to let you be upset. I'm still going to call you tomorrow and I'm not worried about how you wig out completely. And that's just kind of how it works. And I love the privilege I think I have to be able to do that, to be able to say the hard thing and then to let the leader lose it if they need to and say, okay, now let's work this out. Whereas as an internal employee, I just wouldn't have that kind of courage, I don't think. And so I absolutely love those two parts of what I do. I get to say the hard stuff. Well, Mylena, it's been a real joy just to get to know you a little bit better and to talk about what you do and to, you know, just hang out with you today. So thanks again for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. I've had fun. This has been good. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mylena Sutton. For more information, you know where to go, punkrockhr.com. And as always, it's a real treat and a privilege to come and speak with you weekly about fixing work. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.